At a certain point in his career, George Best played for almost every mediocre football club in the world. He played for Fulham and Bournemouth, neither of whom were the clubs they are today, Hibernian, the Brisbane Lions, Stockport County in the 4th Division, Los Angeles Aztecs, Cork United, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, San Jose Earthquakes and Newry Town. Who? Who on earth on Newry Town? He even played for a time in that football mecca, Hong Kong. Welcome to the Luke Alfred Show. I have 30 years of experience on the front lines of sports journalism, covering some of the biggest games in cricket, rugby, the FIFA World Cup and even the Olympic Games. Come and join me as we learn about some of the greatest sports stories you've never heard. I'm Luke Alfred and welcome to the show. In 1974, with his toes losing at least some of their twinkle, George Best flew to Johannesburg. He ventured south at the invitation of brothers Abe and Solly Kroc, the owners and benefactors of a local club, Jewish Guild, for what was originally scheduled as a three-match gig-come-promotional tour. He was 27, and his Manchester United and Northern Ireland days were receding by the pint. A South African rand could buy you $2 in the mid-1970s, and the Crocs were keen to add international cachet to a club who were competitive, but had never really won anything. That honour, more often than not, falling to Highlands Park, with whom Guild shared a ground, Balfour Park. In the absence of silverware, the Crocs and their fellow Guild directors would make a grab for the bold print of the headlines. It was the golden age of decent broadsheets in the 1970s, Johannesburg being well served by the liberal Rand Daily Mail and the more centrist The Star. Television only arrived in South Africa in 1976, after Ghana, North Korea, and pretty much everyone else in the world, and Best's arrival would be well covered, the Crocs guessed, on both the front and the back pages. They were right. The reporters and photographers swarmed over the arrivals lounge at what was then Jan Smuts Airport, and they were there a day later in expectation that gorgeous George would show off his trickery ahead of his first get-to-know-you practice session with his star-struck teammates. And there was something else. Although the British Lions rugby team under Willie John McBride were in the country at the time, South Africa was increasingly becoming an international pariah. The World Cup in West Germany was about to take place and South Africa would be nowhere near it because the South Africans had been expelled from FIFA because of apartheid. South Africa was morally repugnant and the rest of the world held their noses. That stink would only increase in the years to come. The Soweto riots of 1976, an event as significant in the history of modern South Africa as the day when Nelson Mandela was released from Victor Fester prison in Paul. 16 years later, were only two years away. Starved of international football and unable to even watch the World Cup on television, recruiting Best to Guild was, well, the next best thing. Best himself entered into the photo opportunities with the Guild directors and their wives, if not with gusto, then with long-suffering good humour. Good on you, George. He didn't quite take enough care with his skin, however, because... Shortly after he arrived in the country, he stayed too long in the harsh African sun. He got a top-class case of sunstroke, which meant he missed his first training session. The crocs were not best pleased. Neither was anyone else, 
and even the journalists felt hard done by. That night, still suffering from sunstroke, Best watched his Guild teammates lose 3-0 to fellow Johannesburg club Rangers at the Rand Stadium in the south of town. We can only imagine what Best now realised he was getting into, how George must have shivered. The scribes, however, were in their element. No matter that Guild lost 3-0, they spotted Best in the VIP lounge. They even coined a word for Guild's ailing performance. The Guild players were, they wrote, quote, suffering from an advanced case of Bestitis because they were so intimidated by Best's prawn pink presence, the alliteration is not mine, in the VIP lounge that they were unable to string a sequence of passes together, let alone actually say a word to him over drinks afterwards. The following day, with George looking slightly less like a broiled lobster, he attended his first training session. So too did a notorious local stripper, whose lawyer just happened to know a number of Jewish guilds' directors. The stripper's given name was Yvonne Wintel, but her stage name was Ultraviolet. Try as they might to resist the temptation, this was too much for the scribes to bear. Quote, a beetroot-burnt George Best had Ultraviolet focused on him when he resumed training at Balfour Park yesterday afternoon wrote the Rand Daily Mail's Cy Lerman. No publicity hound could have dreamed up this gimmick. It had to be coincidence. Yet here was Best, on the day after he was prevented from taking part in his first official practice because of sunburn, face to face with the slinky stripper who has burnt a few fellows in her time. Ultra in the stands and George on the pitch was a nice role reversal. Normally punters watched her, but here she was, in the unfamiliar role of observer. The record doesn't tell if Ultraviolet and the beetroot burnt George frolicked through all the colours of the rainbow, but the archives do tell that Ultra's lawyer had a time of it keeping her out of court on public indecency charges. In one such appearance, she offered to show the magistrate her G-string. As servant of the state and upstanding citizen, he politely refused. Despite her helpfulness, she was found guilty and ran crying from the court before spending a night or two in Chucky, an Afrikaans word, by the way, for prison. Best's first game for Guild was on a Friday night at home to Hellenic, the Greek club from Cape Town. In expectation of a big crowd, Guild had rented the Rand Stadium for the occasion, realising that the homely Balfour Park would be too small. Guild would have been happy with the 30,000 crowd, but less so with the result, a 1-1 draw which didn't suggest an immediate return on the best investment. On the following Saturday afternoon in Durban, Guild beat the always tricky Durban City 2-0 in the subtropical rain. Best was intermittently brilliant, particularly after half-time, and the scribes were in pretty good form themselves. Quote, but it was a different story after the changeover when, like some leprechaun from his native land, he, that's best, cast a spell over the vulnerable city defence, wrote own correspondent in the following day's Rand Daily Mail. And his magic, even if it only came in short spells, was enough to bring a second goal, again scored by Benny Boyson, and give the 10,000 crowd something to cheer. 
Forgive me while I interrupt a sports story to tell you about the Luke Alfred Show Patreon. As you may know, being a writer is not the most lucrative career choice. Please consider making a small donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash the Luke Alfred Show. But for now, let's get back to the story. Highlands Park, Guild's neighbours at Balfour Park, were meanwhile watching all these leprechaun-like antics with mounting alarm. All this copy, all this adulation. Best was the biggest show in town. Guild had stolen a march on their more storied rivals. Highlands Park would need to dream up a response. Not to be outdone, Highlands Park's chairman, Rex Evans, set about recruiting a British star. Evans, however, wasn't going to be seduced by George's dreamy eyes and jet-black shoulder-length hair. No, he was going to recruit a player who would play for a season or two, so signed Spurs' centre-forward Alan Gilzine on a two-year contract. The scribes were generally positive, and Highlands made up some of the ground they lost when Betst and Ultra shone her violet light on the headlines. Finally, though, they were hacks and had to squeeze every ounce of cheesy humour from the situation. Perhaps with Best's fine head of hair in mind, they instantly took to calling Gilzine Highlands Park's new Scottish signing the nearly bald Alan Gilzine. This kind of stuff was common in those days. Defenders were invariably tough as teak. Tougher than teak if they were Scottish, although perhaps this made them tougher than tough teak. Jingles Pereira, the Cape Town City forward, who also had a spell with Jewish Guild, incidentally, was frequently dubbed as a wizard with a penchant for dribbling wizardry. Could that make him a dribbling wizard? And then there was the word colourful, pressed into heavy work as an all-purpose adjective. Boozers, womanizers, and those like ultraviolet, who strayed onto the wrong side of the law, were invariably dubbed colourful. It was a big word. As best demonstrated, they were colourful times. Although in prehistoric South Africa, it was important that individual colours be kept assiduously apart. After the leprechaun had worked his wonders against Durban City, there was one more game left for best to play against Cape Town City at Cape Town's Greenpoint Stadium. By now, best complexion had returned to normal. He was forgiven his indiscretion in the sun. So successful had this tour been that it was extended by a match and he played once more. It was left to the stars Dave Beatty and Terry Lofthouse to sum up things in their weekly soccer column when they noted that our George was able to draw a crowd from beyond football's traditional constituency. He was, in other words, an event rather than simply a visiting footballer wondering at what point you hit the fabled skids. Under the headline, Best's visit a tonic, they wrote, quote, Certainly, there were some who were among the 30,000 at Rand Stadium, the 22,000 at Greenpoint Stadium, the 10,000 at New Kingsmead on a wet day, and the 8,000 at Balfour Park, who went to see the man who had gained such a worldwide reputation for his athletic prowess in other directions. The Jewish Guild escapade signaled the beginning of Best's wanderings, the beginnings of the Best End. He played for Fulham and Bournemouth, neither of whom were the clubs they are today, Hibernian, the Brisbane Lions, Stockport County in the 4th Division, Los Angeles Aztecs, Cork United, 
Fort Lauderdale Strikers, San Jose Earthquakes and Newry Town. Who? Who on earth on Newry Town? He even played for a time in that football mecca, Hong Kong. Some of these stints were a little longer, some a little shorter, but they invariably followed the same pattern. First, the press conference or photo opportunity, sometimes both, with the club chairman, after which a gentle run out to meet the boys, the reception of the club jersey and the signing of a few autographs. This was quickly followed by Best's opening fixture, with the biggest home crowd of the season, bad weather, minor injury and the rapidly drying concrete of disillusion. Somewhere along the line there would be epic bouts with broads and boos, and sooner rather than later there would be a slightly strained yet publicly amicable parting of the ways. In following such an arc, Best's story becomes one without an end, a story with an infinity of new beginnings. New beginnings add up, though, don't they? They don't appear to add up. Too many restless beginnings ultimately equal an unsatisfactory end of sorts. Best played his last game so many times they ceased to be his last game, and the more he played, the more he tarnished the celestial luster of his reputation all of which was achieved at Manchester United, the club he joined as a 15-year-old fresh from the family home in North Belfast. In a fine essay on Best in The Observer, the Scottish sports writer Hugh McIlvenny tells the story of an accompanying Best, now retired, to a Spurs game against Manchester United at White Hart Lane. Best is, of course, recognised. A long queue of autograph hunters forms. McIlvenny overhears one member of the queue, a middle-aged man, admit that he isn't in the habit of asking fading stars for their signature, but in this case he's prepared to make an exception. That's what Best was, a player so talented, so nimble, so deadly and so brave, that he reached out beyond the confines of the sport into popular culture at large. A player who, quote, came in from the goal line, in McIlvenny's famous quote from the essay, in a blur of intricate deception. There is a postscript to the best pathos-filled tale. After Jewish Guild, the Crocs went on to buy the football club Mamelodi Sundowns, a township northeast of Schwani, once known as Pretoria. The Crocs made their early millions in skin-lightening creams, selling their products to black South Africans during apartheid before moving their money into casinos and gambling, and skedaddling for Australia. Skin lighteners are chemically toxic. They burn your skin and lead to all sorts of cancers. There was a great deal of this kind of thing going on in the 1970s. Think of Ultraviolet, the temptress who burnt a few fellows in her time. And think of George Best, who brought his radiant light to millions before fading from view in an endless succession of new beginnings. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luke Alfred Show, please give me a five-star rating. As an independent creator, this podcast is made possible through your support.